Welcome to a pivotal moment in tennis history, a moment we are living and witnessing right now. Today, we stand on the brink of a revolution, not just in how the game is played, but how it's understood. Five years ago, when we embarked on this project, we anticipated changes, but what's unfolding is far more dramatic and more powerful than we ever imagined. Gone are the days of solely relying on impressionistic methods and the opinions of tennis gurus. We are now in an era where every shot, every point, and every strategic decision is transformed by the unyielding power of data analytics. This isn't just a change, it's a seismic shift that is redefining the very essence of tennis as we know it. As we experience these monumental changes firsthand, we invite you to join us on this groundbreaking journey. Together, let's discover how data analytics is not just influencing, but revolutionizing the world of tennis. So the Arts of Winning is brought to you by Sterling Strother and Dan Travis. This podcast is dedicated to shedding light on the new era of tennis. It looks at the completely new areas and realms of possibility that this era presents us with. Primarily, we examine the battles that will be fought as the player develops competitive intelligence. We ask you to subscribe to the podcast, both on the channels, Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, and subscribe directly to us by visiting www.artofwinningtennis.com. We can help you negotiate your way around this tremendously exciting new era in tennis. In the last podcast, we looked at momentum and players and coaches want to know more about this topic. That's the feedback I've been getting since last week when you and I examined this in detail, Sterling. And what they're asking is quite specific. That's three things that they want to talk about. Number one, exactly what makes momentum different from traditional tennis scoring. So, Dan, momentum scoring is a real interpretation of the actual margin of separation between players in a game. And so traditional tennis scoring is an inflated margin of separation between players and activates consciously and or subconsciously a distorted perception in the margin difference of the score. And so whether you know it or not, Saying 40-15 or 30-40 or 30-all, it plays with your perception in ways that lead to very poor decisions because it's not the real score. It's actually a deceptive score with a subjective logic as its foundation. Sterling, so, can, I just, can I just stop you there? Because just for the sake of clarity, what you and I are saying is that the traditional score 15, 30, 40, known as the game score in the, in, in the way we refer to it. Yes. That score is not the real score. That is what's getting people at the moment because they're saying to me, well, that's the real score, but you've got a different one. Well, right. That's the, that's the first initial reaction. It's perfectly logical for anyone to say, wait a minute, Sterling yeah. and Dan, you know, 
this is the real score because that's the way tennis is scored. It is the way tennis is scored, but it's not the real score. It is literally a score that was that was drummed up. I'm not even sure the the origins. We can we can debate about the origins because they're, they're so subjective in their logic. Like it doesn't even make sense that you would go from 15 to 30 to 40 unless you're following a clock and then you got to back it up five minutes when you get to 45 because you've got to make an even score to get to 60, 50, 60. And it's, it's just so convoluted. So I'm saying we have to deal with the, with the traditional score. It's always going to be there. No one, I'm not, I'm not suggesting we get rid of it. What I'm suggesting is that we use the game score as a placeholder and that we focus on the real score, which is the momentum score in order to make our decisions upon, right? So the traditional tennis score is an elaborate and it's a confusing score that really agitates and disrupts a player's decision-making process about how to play the next point. I'll give you an example, 30 all. It's not equal. It appears to be equal. However, the reality is that you either won or lost the last point or lost or won or lost the last two points to achieve the game score of 30 all. And so believing that you are tied in the game is a distorted perception of the truth. You're either down in the score or you're up in the score when you track momentum point to point. And that is the purpose of really separating and defining what is the game score? How is it working to get you to the game? Like, how is it, how is it adding up? And then how does the momentum, how is momentum actually tracked? Instead of looking at momentum as this sort of vague sort of feeling or or emotion or just sort of movement there. And I'm going to, in the next question, I'm going to define what momentum is, but, or in, in, in today's podcast rather, but you're either down in the score or you're up in the score when you track momentum point to point. Okay. Bang. There you go. So if you're, if you're listening to the podcast, that needs to sink in if you're going to understand momentum because there's no equality. That's a, that's a huge difference. At one point in the almost every game you play, there's going to be equality. But in the score, in the traditional score, you're going to have a 15 or a 30 or, or a juice. Yeah, okay? let, me say that, this. let me say this. The only time the momentum score is 0-0 is at the beginning of the game. Now, we have played around with carrying the momentum score over from game to game. Maybe it resets on a changeover, or maybe it just carries over when there's not a changeover. But what I decided, and this is over hours and hours of dealing with players and working with them psychologically and getting their feedback. And this is not something I just made up yesterday. This is, this is a, at least a seven-year study, at least seven years. Yeah with thousands of junior players between the ages of 10 and you say 22, 23. <clears throat> and I've even worked work with adults on this. It's, it's extremely important to understand that you're tracking momentum quantitatively and that you're either up or down. The nothing, nothing's ever tied unless it's at the beginning of the game 
And the reason why we did that is because there's this reset you have in your natural reset you have in your thoughts when a game is complete, because there's a finality to that. And so we just, I decided since there's a finality to the end of a game, that's what we're thinking. It's over. We're going to just go ahead and reset the momentum score to zero, zero and start every game. Momentum score, zero, zero game score, zero, zero. That makes it simple and clean. So what exactly is momentum scoring and how does it work? Okay. So momentum scoring, like I said, it tracks the number of consecutive points you've either won or lost in the game. It does not manipulate your thinking that you are up or down by either 15 or 10 or even distort your ability to track the score by using words such as deuce or an advantage. So the momentum score is the real score. And when you win one point consecutively, you are up plus one. Your opponent is now minus one because they have lost one point consecutively. I know that sounds weird to say one point consecutively, but I need to say it because it, it'll, it'll make more sense if I say it that way. Now, winning two points consecutively, you are up plus two. Your opponent is now minus two. Winning three points consecutively, <clears throat> you are now plus three and your opponent is minus three. And so here's what's interesting about the momentum score. There are winning probability percentages or what we call WPP attached to the momentum scores of plus one, minus one, plus two, minus two, and plus three, minus three. That is very important to understand moving forward. So how does creating an understanding of momentum scoring benefit a player? So it benefits a player. Because a player is able to comprehend exactly the number of points they are ahead or behind in the score. And like I said, the game score is still there, but it's a place marker. Your distorted perception of feeling like you are up by a large margin when you only pay attention to the traditional score, it's absent from your thinking. Okay. So 4015 and 40 love or even 30 love. Traditionally, you would think you're okay. You're up big time there, right? 4015. I'm, I'm one point away and I'm up by a lot. However, the reality is that you are very likely going to lose the next point when you're up with that kind of margin, unless you reset your thinking and play intelligently instead of emotionally charged. So, it, the same goes for when you're down in the game, 15-30, 15-40, or 30-40. You have a new understanding, right? A real understanding about momentum position. And then you can negotiate your decisions to stay in the game competitively instead of allowing an infl inflated score to dictate your thought process and the pending decisions to play the next point, right? So the momentum score, though, on the other hand, does something that the game score does not, cannot do. It gives you the starting WPP, the winning percentage percentage. That's what you start with in order to plan intelligently <clears throat> how to play the next point for a better chance of winning that point. And so if you're up 40 love, 
you're up plus three. Yeah. You're beginning with a 20% chance of winning the next point or winning four points in a row. If you're 30 love, you're up plus two. So you're beginning with a 25% chance of winning the next point. And notice I said, you're beginning with this percentage. So playing your first two shots based on 20 or 25%, yeah. whether you're up 40 love or 30 love, it's a much different attitude than, whoa, I can go for something big now because I have a big lead, 40 love, 30 love. But, but the problem is that momentum is a, is a funny thing because momentum scoring, when you pay attention to that, it helps you negotiate the risk-reward scenarios. Because you would think up 40 love and 30 love that your win percentage should be very high, that you should win the next point. But the problem is it's very low because to sustain momentum is much more difficult than stopping it. And so when you use this momentum score to assess your risk reward scenarios, it does it better because you're using probability to plan instead of an emotional response to chase a lead or to end the game quickly. This is what we see. I see this every day because we do scoring in all of our practices, no matter what CI game we're playing or we're playing point, we're always playing a CI game in relationship to the traditional game because we want players to make better decisions based on their real momentum position instead of trying to to think about a game, a traditional game score that doesn't even tell you remotely what your chance is of winning the point or okay. losing. It. So I, I want to move on to the next section, Sterling, of the momentum scoring system itself. Sterling, what is momentum scoring in tennis? Can you start by clarifying the difference with, say, the traditional tennis scoring? Okay, so let me start by defining momentum because I think mm-hmm. that's a good place to start. I think so. Momentum is a strength or force gained by motion or a series of events. A series of events in tennis can be described as a series of shots, a series of points, and a series of games. And so when I'm talking about point momentum, I'm referring to a series of points. And so momentum is gained by a series of events occurring consecutively. And this is how momentum builds and increases or decreases rapidly by events occurring consecutively. And so the momentum score keeps track of these events. In this case, particular case we're talking about today, points occurring consecutively. Traditional tennis uh, scoring does not keep track of points consecutively. It keeps a running score of winning and losing points between players. And that's why the game score can appear to be tied at certain times in the calculation. But the momentum score is never tied because it is specifically designed to keep a record of only the number of times an event occurs consecutively between you and your opponent. That is the most, that's the simplest way I can describe it. And I think that really drives home the point that we're trying to make. We're not saying that the traditional tennis score 
is somehow going to go away. It's not going to go away. But what we are saying is that it should only be referred to if you want to become more competitively intelligent and play better points with with more of a, a cognitive mindset where you're where you're making a calculated uh, decision based on probability, you want to pay attention to what the momentum score is, and that's the score that drives your decision because the game score is only tracking points in a way that it's just the traditional tennis score. It's not tracking the points consecutively. It's a running score. And so that's why it should, we should look at it only as a place marker. So what is a direction point, a momentum point, and a conversion point? Okay, so I decided to define winning one point, winning two points, winning three points. And here, here's the way it goes. A direction point is when you win or lose one point consecutively. You're moving in the direction or away from the direction of momentum. A momentum point is when you win or lose two points consecutively. And a conversion point is when you win or lose three points consecutively. That's clear. Thank you, Sterling. That allows me to move on to the next section. And the essential components of momentum scoring. So now you've clarified what momentum scoring is. I want to help listeners try and understand the most important features of that scoring system. So the features that will be essential to them creating a capability that they can then deploy uh, in the match. So first, what's so important about winning a momentum point? So in a game, winning two points consecutively is the primary goal. And this is a momentum point. The reason for this is that you will have to win two points consecutively at a minimum to win the game. And so the only exception is when you play what's called no ad scoring, which means you can, you, you could only have to win one point to win the game. But now just briefly here, when you play no ad scoring, winning a momentum point can actually be even more valuable. And the reason for this is that winning a momentum point creates enough separation in the game to win the game. And so it should be the primary goal of every player as you navigate your way to winning a game. Why does momentum scoring reset after winning three consecutive points? It's because the maximum number of consecutive points needed to win a game is three points, three consecutive points. If a player wins four points consecutively, which is rare, we call that a conversion direction instead of a double mo. Okay. A double momentum. A double momentum is reserved for when a player wins two separate momentum points within a game. And in other words, they lost a point or a series of points between the times that they won their momentum points. Yeah. That's an important distinction, isn't it? So the double mo is two consecutive within a game, not necessarily uh, four in a row. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Can you explain then a momentum path? Okay, so this was really interesting because as we begin to work with these, this concept of the momentum score, I discovered that there's a momentum path to winning the game. And so this is a fascinating concept. 
And it really helps drive home the probability of winning a game. And so I created it to help players really navigate their way to winning a game. The momentum path means that you are at a moment in the game. And notice I use that word moment, which is actually the first six letters of the word momentum, where you only need to win a momentum point to win the game. So for example, if you are minus one, 30 all, at that moment in the game, you only need to win a momentum point to win the game from there. Now, if you are minus one, 40 all, you're also in a position where you only have to win a momentum point to win the game. And so that is called the momentum path to winning the game. What's the conversion path to winning a game? So the conversion path means that you are at a moment in a game where you need to win three consecutive points to win the game. So for example, if you are minus one, 15 all, you can win a conversion point from there and win the game, three points in a row. If you are plus one, 30 all, you need to win a conversion point to win the game from there. Now, the most common conversion path, but not the most desirable one, is when you're plus one, 40 all. And so you can win a conversion point to win the game from here. Now, the reason is that you were down 30, 40, you had a direction, you had to win a direction point or one point to get the game score back to 40 all. And then you have to win two consecutive points from there to win the game. So that would be a conversion point or three points in a row from being down 30, 40 in the game score. And that's critical to understand moving forward. What then are the different combinations of momentum and conversion pathways to win a game? Okay, so here's some momentum pathways. I'm just going to throw out a few scores here. The two most important ones are minus 130 all and minus 140 all or deuce. There are other ones. Plus 23015, plus 14030. Conversion pathways would be plus 130 all, plus 1 deuce or 40 all. And there are a few others. But, um, the most important thing to realize when you're playing a game is that when you get near the end of the game, when you get to 30 all, when you get to 40 all, you assess what is your momentum score at that point. <clears throat> and then you'll be able to discover how many points you need in order to win the game. For example, if you're minus two, 30 all, that's the momentum path. And if you're minus two, 40 all or deuce, you're on the momentum path. If you're plus to 30 all or plus to 40 all, you're on the conversion path. Okay, so that's, that's an excellent explanation. And that, that is going to become really important, isn't it, Sterling? For the player that wants to seek improvement in, in the matches and becoming more competitively intelligent, it's so good, the pathway concept and what you have to do strategically, I think. The next section here, the, the section three, I want to look at the game, the game, or I think we refer to it, we refer to it in the past as game craft, and I quite like that explanation. And this is an area that I really urge people to listen to, and, I, and you'll need to listen to it again as soon as you can, as what Sterling is about to explore potentially has got a huge impact on your ability to improve 
as a, as a tennis competitor. So here we go. Sterling, why do players need to focus on winning momentum points? And how does this help their chances of winning a game? Okay, so 90% of the time, a player will have to win at least one momentum point to win the game. Even if a player is playing no ad scoring, a player will most likely have to win a momentum point to win that game. Even if the momentum score in no ad scoring goes back and forth, So you win a point, you lose a point, you win a point, you lose a point. One player will end up winning a momentum point most likely to win the game. Now, the only exception in no ad scoring is that if you're the player that's minus one 40 all after you've traded points back and forth, then you will only have to win a direction point to win the game. But that's a rare moment indeed. Is there a difference when you are serving or returning? when trying to score momentum points? Yeah, the only difference is really how well you're executing your serve and return first strike patterns. It is a bit more challenging, I believe, and this is what we're experiencing right now, to be the first player to win the first momentum point of the game when you're returning serve. Unless the serve player is missing first serves, then it can be um, less challenging if you're getting seeing more second serves. But that's what we're finding that's trending right now. Now, that's, yes. that can change over time. And obviously, it can be different from match to match. But it, the biggest thing is focusing on those first strike patterns. That's the, biggest, um, that's the biggest thing when you're trying to score momentum points. Are there trends in match data? that you have studied over the last 10 years, where you've been able to calculate how often games are won in a particular way? Actually, yes. And <laughs> I thought that might be the answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, Craig O'Shaughnessy called me the mad scientist, so I'm going to just wear that badge with an honor. I'm always trying to dive deep into really understanding how the flow of momentum is working uh, in the momentum scoring system. So uh, I look at a lot of data and I look at ha- patterns. I find patterns of, of how games are won. So here's what I discovered so far. About 40% of the games, about 40% of all games, no matter what the level at, is won by the player who scores a double momentum point. So this means that a player won a momentum point, two consecutive points. Then they maybe lost a point or maybe even a few points. And then they won another momentum point to win the game. So that's about 40% of the time. Approximately 20% of the time, a player will win the game by what I call a double momentum conversion. Now, what's the, what this means is a player won one momentum point, and then they won the conversion point. So basically, they won three points in a row, and then they win another momentum point at some time in the game. This happens a lot, like say you win the f- first two points of the game. And then it goes, somehow it goes to deuce 40 all and you're on the conversion path, right? So you're at plus one, you were went down 30, 40, and then you had to, you won three points in a row to win the game. That's a double momentum conversion. And so the math goes like this, two plus two plus one. And so that's why I called it a double mo conversion. So after that, so now we've got about 60% of the games made up. So 20%, another 20% of the games 
are going to be won by the player who wins what's called a single mo single momentum direction. Now, this is again, this is not confused. You shouldn't confuse this with a conversion. A single momentum and then a direction is when a player wins one momentum point and then the score kind of flips back and forth and the player only has to win a direction point to win the game. I'll give you an example. The score is minus one, 15 all. That's your score. That's your momentum position. Minus one, 15 all. So let's say I win a momentum point and I go up plus two, 40, 15. I can lose the next point and go down minus one, 40, 30. And then I only have to win one point, a direction point to win the game. Now that would be called a single momentum direction. We see that a lot. We see that about 20% of the time. Sometimes it's a little higher. And that a double momentum and a single momentum direction, those are very, very popular ways of winning. Now, about 10% of the time, a player wins by a single momentum, just two points in a row, or they win by a conversion point, right? So um, about 5% of the time, it's won by some other variation, like a triple momentum or a triple mo conversion. and or even quadruple mo conversion. And these are like when, when you have multiple deuce scenario situations where the game score is rolling back and forth from deuce to add to deuce to add and things like that. So those longer games, you start getting into these sort of odd ways of momentum uh, scoring as far as winning the game. That's it. Okay, but just to dwell on that question a little bit longer, Sterling, because I've got sure. a, a kind of supplementary question to, to put to you. Would you say that, yes, winning the first point of the game is so important, but that's what a lot of the commentators in traditional tennis will say, and it's almost become a cliche. Well, of course it's important, but I think what you mean, well, I know that you mean something different when you say it's an important point to win, because behind you saying the first point is important, it's important in a different way from what everyone else means. Right. I mean, I was playing to the crowd. Well, the first point, oh, isn't it so important? You're yeah. not doing that. Because I also think, actually, again, I'll correct myself there. I know that when you put this into practice, yes, the first point is important, but so is the second, right? Maybe you can rein me in here. But I'd say the second point is more decisive as to what the outcome or the pathways are going to need to be to win the game. Right. So traditionally, the reason why, or the main reason, at least in my mind, and I've talked to other coaches, lots of other coaches about this, the reason why winning the first point is important in a traditionally way of thinking is that you win one, it only, you win one point, the first point, you're up in the game. Now, the, your opponent now has to win two points in a row to be up in the game over you, right? Because if they just win one point, it's basically tied. But the problem with that is you're not taking into account the momentum score. And the momentum score, to me, trumps any other reason why you want to win the first point. So what's interesting about winning the first point when you're tracking momentum or momentum scoring is that you're now on your journey to win the game being on the momentum path. And the momentum path is the highest probability pathway to winning a game. It's much easier, if you will, 
to win two points in a row to win the game than to have to win three points in a row to win the game. That's why it's so important. Yes. Yeah. You're on the momentum path. You, you are win on the momentum game. path. Yes. That is why when Sterling Strother says the first point <laughs> is important, he's not talking about the same thing as the commentators are in that box. Correct. What are the what okay, so what are some strategies to win the first point of the game when you're serving? And can you also look then at the returning strategies as well? Okay, so when you are serving, I would say that play a serve position that you are not just good at, but also if it can match up with what your opponent likes the least, like say a jammed backhand return. And so you're serving the first point on the deuce court. That would be position three in the deuce box. If you're playing a right-handed player. Yeah. If you're playing a left-handed player, it's P2. Of course, you can always go wide to their backhand, like P4 is for a right-handed player and P1 for a lefty. But here's the key. You're going to want to rehearse these serves in practice and see how accurate and consistent you are to those serve positions. Also, you'll want to think about which serve position is going to most likely give you a S1 forehand. You definitely want to hunt for forehands on your S1, which is the first shot after the serve. Now, one of the things that I have distinguished from anyone else is that when we first started talking about first strike and we hear it from a lot of different people, they call it the serve plus one. Well, I decided not to call it a serve plus one. And specific, this is the specific reason. I wanted to specifically identify the first shot after the serve. That's why I call it an S1. When I identify the second shot after the serve, I call it an S2 and an S3. And then that's it because that's four shots. That's the first four shots that you play yourself and and your opponent's going to play their four shots, which is the R, R1, R2, R3. Now, when you're returning, I would say that you want to look to maybe either jam up the serve player after their serve. So we call that caging. Or you could hit a, that's hitting into like B or C. Well, you're going to hit it into B if you're, if you're returning a serve from deuce. So you're jamming it up. You're trying to hit it deep and penetrate into the court. You could also hit a big forehand to A if, you know, if you get a second serve. When you return your backhand from deuce court, you definitely want to try to hit it to A or B because you're trying to hunt down an R1 forehand next if you're returning. So your combination would be like a backhand forehand combo in your first two shots. You kind of want to stay away from hitting returns from the deuce court into C or D on the first point unless you're wanting to hit a backhand R1. And some players are fine with that. You just need to be prepared to hit the R1 backhand after your return if you're hitting that deuce return up the line into CD ad court. Now, if you hit it more, if you hit it pretty powerfully and you move quickly, you can run around your R1 backhand and hit an R1 forehand. So we practice this. We rehearse this. Now, what's really interesting is, so Pierce was having, Pierce was my son who's 16. He's nationally ranked in the U.S. He was having problems winning the first point of every game. So I had him, he has a sparring partner 
little bit uh, not quite as good as him, but is up there. He's really coming on strong. And the kid's about a 7.58 UTR. And um, Pierce had to play him sets. And if Pierce lost the first point of the game, whether he was serving or returning, he'd lose the entire game and the serve would switch. Now, that'll bring out the emotions, the competitive emotions, and it'll really bring out the the um, sort of resilience of a player. Lose the first point, you lose the entire game. That'll get a player's attention to really buckle down on their strategy in their first strike stage of the point when they're playing the first point of the game. Because a lot of times players will go out, especially on a changeover, and they're not focused and concentrated on what's first strike pattern they're going to play the first point. They're kind of maybe living off the energy of they just won the last game or they just broke serve against their opponent. And they kind of come in and they're a little bit too relaxed. They've kind of released the tension, if you will, between between them and their opponent. And so they just kind of play the first point kind of, you know, kind of too relaxed. And that's that's probably not something you want to really do on a regular basis. So why is it so difficult to win a game when you lose the first two points and go down love 30? How does the traditional tennis player typically react when they're in this situation? And then how does the ultimate winning player react? I know there's, there's a couple of questions bundled into one there. But can you, yeah, so can we look at why is it so difficult to win at love 30? Okay, so if you go down love 30, here are some scenarios in the momentum probability. You have to win a momentum point to get the score back to 30 all. Now that's tough because your opponent is only one momentum point away from winning the game at that moment. You're down love 30. So they're two points away from winning the game. If you win a direction point at love 30, now the game score flips to 15-30. You have to... Pro- so at this point, at 15-30, you have, you have a probability winning percentage now of 40% to win the next point and bring it to 30-all. That's the key. That is, that is key. Now, if you can win that momentum point, you're now at plus two 30-all. Here it goes. You're plus two 30-all. You have a 25% chance right now, beginning the next point, to winning that conversion point three points in a row and go up 40-30. Now, by contrast, your opponent has just lost two points in a row. So they're at minus 230-all. They have a 75% chance starting out of winning the next point and going up 40-30 themselves. And, but that's, fought, is, that that's, is what happens. Yeah, that's, that's exactly that's what, what happens. happens. So, so after fighting back and getting the game score back to 30-all, you then lose the next point typically, and you go down 30-40. Emotionally, that's really tough to handle. And that's what happens when you focus just on the game score. That's what happens to every single human being. They go, man, I fought back and then I lose the next point. Now you're one point away from losing the game. Watch. This is exactly the, dis- the way I described it right there. It's exactly um, why you have the emotional reactions and the players feel, you feel dejected, basically going down 30, 40, once you 
um, lose that conversion point three points in a row at 30 all. So let's contrast that to the art of winning player. <clears throat> now, the art of winning player is going to play the momentum score and use their probability percentage to negotiate how they play each point strategically. And so when you're using momentum and probability uh, scoring system, you're able to unplug emotionally to a degree and play the next point with more competitive intelligence. If you're down 30, love 30 in the game score, you'll most likely manage your way back into the game, or at least you're going to play intelligently and your shot match tactics are going to increase your probability percentage. If you do win a momentum point and get the score back to 30 all, you can now play the next point on the deuce court with a better pattern to increase your 25% starting winning percentage. If you play a really solid first strike pattern, whether you're serving or returning, you can bump that win percentage off those two shots up to 50%. And that's about the best scenario that can occur after the first strike pattern. You go from 25% to 50% win percentage, so you make it even. Now, remember that 60 to 70% of all points played in a tennis match will end within the first four shots of a point total. So that first strike pattern on deuce court, when you're up plus two 30 all, that's the key to bumping up your WPP, your, your win probability percentage. That is how the art of winning player is going to think. And it's very interesting that when a player, when the player begins to train this way, they are much less emotionally attached and being drug along by the game score emotionally. They reset their brains and go, wait a minute, what's my probability here? Okay, what's my first strike pattern? Okay, that's really interesting. So just to summarize your answer, the difficulty is a momentum difficulty going love 30 down. And the answer from the art of winning point of view is a momentum answer. It's based in momentum. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So why... When the score is 30 all, though, Sterling, how does the traditional tennis player interpret this score? And why is this perception distorted? How would an art of winning player negotiate the 30 all game score? So the traditional tennis player will believe that at 30 all, the mm-hmm. game score is tied, but it's not even close to being tied. At it's all. not. Here are the four scenarios. Here are the four scoring scenarios when you use momentum scoring. You're either plus one 30 all, which means you were down 15 30. You won that point. You're either minus one 30 all, plus two 30 all, or minus two 30 all, which means you were down love 30, or sorry, you're up 30 love and you lost the last point, minus minus two 30 all. Now, Here are the associated WPPs, win percentage, probability percentage for each of these. Plus one, 30 all, you have a 40% chance of winning the next point. At minus one, 30 all, you have a 60% win percentage. That doesn't sound 50-50 to me. Now, plus two, 30 all, you have a 25% starting win percentage. Minus two, 30 all, you have a 75% winning probability percentage. Now. The traditional tennis player is playing the next point on the deuce court. We all are at 30 all. And their thinking is that they're tied. So if they were down in the score, either love 30 or 1530, 
they will more than often try and chase the lead and get the score back to 30 all. They're chasing the lead. They're down left 30. They're down 15, 30. So when they go play that, that point, uh, or they play that point at love 30 or 15, 30, they're chasing that 30 all lead. So what's going to happen is once they win the point, they're right. They're at 30 all. Now they're going to push to sort of Sprint. hit. They're going to sprint. They're going to try to push, maybe hit close to the lines because they're trying to get the score to 40-30 in their advantage. Now, <clears throat> that's if they're down. Now, if they're up in the, tr- in the uh, traditional pl- tennis players, up in the score 30-love or 30-15, and then they lose the next point or the next two, they're at 30-all. Now they're concerned. They're on deuce court. It's 30-all, but they lost the last point or they lost the last two. So they're concerned about giving up the lead and they'll maybe push a little hard or he may even play safe, which neither is an an intellectual decision. It's an emotionally charged one. Yeah. Now, the art of winning player is going to assess their WPP because they are negotiating their decision from 30 all from the deuce court and they're using the momentum score. They're not using the game score to make their decision. Their first strike pattern will be more relevant to their best pattern or their pattern their opponent likes the least. Their decision will be made from an intellectual point of view rather than an emotional one. And so the art of winning player recognizes the legacy from the last point to the next point. And this creates stability in a player's emotions because they are strong framing the obstacle of winning either a direction point, right, to go up 40-30, or maybe even a momentum point to go up, uh, momentum, a momentum point to go up 40-30, or even maybe even a conversion point to go up 40-30 in the game score. So this is what we talked about in our podcast about uh, stability and continuity. And so that's, that's the differences between the sort of ideas and headspace going on between traditional tennis players and art of winning player. No, that's that's really interesting, and this is where you want to be as a player this year. Right? Make it make it a resolution. Why is it so important to understand your momentum position at thirty all, and how does this help you negotiate your way to winning the game from here? Well, because understanding your momentum position at thirty all, it first of all demystifies the idea that you're tied in the game, and that. Both of you are beginning this next point afresh with a 50-50 chance of winning the point. Probability of winning or losing points consecutively, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. The, the more something happens, the chance of it being interrupted or shifting another direction is, is absolute. I'm going to give you an example. So the other night here in the U.S., we had the Super Bowl the football game between the 49ers and the Chiefs. And the probability of one of those teams scoring a touchdown when it went into the overtime period was very high, okay? And because if you watch the game to that point and you tracked how many times each team failed in the game to score a touchdown, right? The probability kept rising and rising. At least one of those teams was going to score a touchdown once they arrived in the overtime period. And so I really... I was watching it with my whole family, my three kids and Allison. And I looked at everybody and said, look, here's what's going to happen. 
right before overtime started. I said, I'm just predicting this. If the 49ers don't score a touchdown in overtime, the Chiefs will, and they're going to win the game. And I'll tell you this, if I was the coach of the 49ers, and I know I'm being an armchair quarterback here, I would have done everything in my power and used all four downs if I had to, to attempt to score a touchdown, especially when they were inside the 10-yard line and they had two downs to score. They settled for a field goal instead of trying the fourth down to score. Just knowing the data of, of someone was going to score a touchdown in overtime was enough for me to go for it. That's what I would have done. So what happened? They kick a field goal. The, chief march, the Chiefs march down. They score a touchdown and this game's over. So I know it's interesting. I know the NFL is increasing their data analytics. And I was, I'm wondering, this is a question I would always uh, have now. I was wondering if the 49ers had their probability of scoring on fourth down with less than 10 yards to go to score. And if there was anything over 40%, I think that should have been enough to go for it. But I don't even know if they referred to that or not. You know, it's a big game. It's a lot going on. But let me just go back to our 30-30 game scenario in tennis. It all depends on what your momentum position is at 30 all. You assess the risk and then you choose a first pattern based on your WPP. It's a much better judgment call than making a decision based on the mythical idea that you are tied in the game at 30 all. So that's what I'm what I'm really trying to drive home here. And what's really awesome is it works. It works with players, especially with junior players who are already having a very difficult time managing their emotions and their thoughts. This is an excellent way to start out a player on an incredible journey of learning how to compete and learning how to deal with winning and losing points because you will lose almost as many points, if not more points than you actually win in a tennis match. It is very close. We talked about this in the book at The Art of Winning Tennis about how the closeness of a match is always there. The momentum score keeps you aware of the closeness between you and your opponent and how momentum shifts in very small increments back and forth between you and your opponent. What two competitive intelligence games, uh, what two games are presently the most effective games to play to combat a 30-all or a 40-all juice score scenario? Right. So this is what I love about creating the competitive intelligence games is that we're not just giving you theory. We're not just giving you numbers. We're actually creating games to help you digest this, understand this, become aware of it, and work with it, negotiate with it. The first game is called Duck the Deuce. Now, this game is designed to help players negotiate winning a game without allowing the score to even get to 30-all or 40-all. So briefly, how you play it. You choose the player that will be the duck the deuce player, and that player must avoid the game score becoming 30-all or 40-all when they are in the lead. So if they're 30-love, 30-15, 40-love, 40-15, or 40-30, they're in the lead. Now, if they allow the score to become 30-all or 40-all in those game scenarios, they automatically lose the game and the serve rotates to the next player. Now, if the duck the deuce player is down in the game, like love 30, 15, 30, love 40, 15, 40, 30, 40, 
if they get the game score to go back to 30-all or 40-all, the game actually continues because they were behind in the game score. The Doug the Deuce player loses the game when they are ahead and their opponent wins the point or points to make it 30-all or 40-all. So again, if the non-Duck the Deuce player wins the game outright, then fine. But the ultimate objective of the Duck the Deuce player is to sustain momentum by converting these direction points and momentum points and um, momentum points to conversion points if they if it's necessary to win the game. Now, that's the first game. So out of that game, and my crazy mind here, thinking about this stuff, I, I, I created a game called Flip It. Now, this is a game that you deal, you're learning to, to understand the difference between the momentum path and the conversion path of winning the game. So here's what we do. You start the game at 30 all. You decide what the momentum score is for both players. Now, we usually play this to like a short set to four games. And then we change the momentum score position for each player and then do it again. So let's say we start the first set that we're going to play and the serve player begins at minus one 30 all. So they are on the, what's called the momentum path to win the game because they are trying to win two points in a row from that point. You contrast that with the return player. They are at plus one 30 all. So they're on the conversion path. So now each player must think about their first strike pattern from deuce court. And they got to take into account their minus one plus one position here. The serve player has a 60% chance because they're at minus one. The return player has a 40% chance. They're at plus one. And so you watch them negotiate their WPP up or down as they play the point. And what I do is I make notes of how they played it, who won the point. And now we have data in the practice to compare and contrast as the players continue to play out the short set to four games. When it's three all, you play the next game, wins the, wins the set. Now, <clears throat> the reason we call the game flip it is that when a player is at plus one 30 all, if they win the next point for them, right, it's a momentum point plus two 40 30. Now they're going for their third point in a row, a conversion point to win the game. We make sure that this player knows that starting their starting WP is plus two 40 30, which they have a 25% chance of winning three in a row. Okay, I'll let them know, hey, you don't have to push hard here to get plus three and win the game. Yeah. You want to avoid chasing because it's emotionally charged. So what you want to realize now, if you're in this scoring position, is that you've already flipped to the momentum path to from the conversion path to momentum path. And if you're at plus two, 40, 30, right? So because here's what happens. You've already flipped it to win the game from the conversion path to momentum path if you lose this game point, right? At plus two, either add or plus two, 40, 30. Because you happen to lose this point, now you're in a momentum position of minus one deuce. And the next point you have to play, you have a 60% chance of winning the add point. So what I say is, you know, this is what your position is. So you don't have to push hard to win that third point in a row. You can just, you can play it smart. And I have some players come to me and they they think they're clever. They say, hey, coach, wouldn't it be clever just to lose this point intentionally? And then I know I'm on the momentum path and I can play from there. But I ask them this, well, 
If you could intentionally do that, right, does that make any common sense? Like, why not just play a first strike pattern, give your opponent what they like the least from ad court? Then you give yourself a little bit more than a 25% chance of winning that third point in a row. If you play a solid first strike ad pattern, then you make your opponent have to play better instead of just gifting them the point. So if you lose the point, well, you know you're still on the momentum path, minus one deuce, and you flipped your opponent over to the conversion path, they're having to win three points to win the game. Yeah. So you've really made their life more difficult and thus made your your situation more favorable to win the game. Well, that's that's been absolutely fascinating, Sterling. And again, I'd say to listeners, you should listen to this again because this is a blueprint. It does offer a blueprint. Okay, the, the odds of winning is a lot more than that when you're developing uh, competitive intelligence. But it, the momentum scoring system is your guide. Okay, that's going to steer you through, and it's going to stay with you. It's the 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 effect on a competitive tennis player is, well, you can measure it for a start, but the effect is massive. So please listen to this again. Listen to the previous podcast on momentum. And on that note, Sterling, have you got um, any concluding thoughts about momentum? Well, I think the, the best way to understand how momentum shifts and flows in a game Obviously, you're keeping the momentum score, but you're using the competitive intelligence games to help you digest it, to help you negotiate your patterns. And it goes back to momentum really begins with shots. We call it shot momentum and building shot momentum with matching shots, right? We call it shot selection, choosing your shot selection based on where you are your position in the court when you're receiving your opponent's shot. But it's really important to play the momentum games, the competitive intelligence games, because that really helps you understand this concept a lot better. So that's, um, yeah, it's been a fantastic. It's been fascinating to get your uh, expert insight into this topic and this aspect of building competitive intelligence. I want to just say to people to remind them that Momentum is fully covered in the book, The Art of Winning Tennis, available on um, Amazon at the moment. And there you can really dive in and get a get a grip on uh, how you can use momentum. And then chapter nine will show you how you can adapt that uh, on a match-to-match basis. Also, we have, we have the podcast that you've been listening to today. So please subscribe so that we can send you uh, interesting stuff. That will include the Amazon Audible too. That's been very popular. We're um, we're really getting getting into people's <laughs> getting into people's heads with the, uh, with the with the Audible that's been released. If you do want a free trial copy, actually no, it's not a free trial copy. It's an actual copy. You can just give, send me a message and I'll send you um, a coupon and you can download that if you've got Amazon Audible. And then finally, we have the big course that's coming out. Um, hopefully within the next few weeks we'll have that with you but as a subscriber to the podcast we can send you an advanced co- uh, copy and we can get you to to book on but Sterling I think we're going to actually be doing a podcast on our forthcoming course and how it's going to be used so we'll look forward to that but please drop us a line if you've got any queries about anything that we're doing we're also running our own our own classes 
and um, you can come. You can come and visit us if you can get to to Raleigh in uh, North Carolina or uh, to Brighton, sunny Brighton in the south of England, south of London. And um, again, you can contact us about those classes. We're going to be racking those up in the next few weeks as this long-awaited springtime ar- arrives. It's been a bit cold. It's been a bit damp. However, we've kept going through the winter and the feedback we're getting at the moment is that you guys do want to start doing the art of winning tennis and start developing your competitive intelligence. So watch this space. Thank you very much, Sterling. Thank you, Dan. As always, it was a pleasure. Bye-bye. 